Welcome to Supplier Experience Live from Hicks, where we explore all the latest topics, trends, and discussion points in the world of procurement, procurement technology, and supplier experience management. My name is Duncan Clark, and welcome to the podcast. Today, our travels take us to New York, and I'm delighted to welcome Joanna Martinez onto the program. Joanna helps businesses transform their processes by educating and motivating their employees. This may be by spreading the message and speaking at professional or in-house events, or other times you'll find Joanna taking the hands-on approach for coaching, training, advising, or direct consulting. Joanna is also an author, and her book, A Guide to Positive Disruption, is available on Amazon, and we'll come on to that in our discussion in a moment. So welcome, Joanna, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Duncan. So we'd like to come on to your book in a moment, uh, the book, A Guide to Positive Disruption. But before we do that, would you mind giving us a bit of background? What got you into procurement? What got you into uh, to supply chain? So I am an engineer by education and I hold a professional engineer's license and I expected my career to go down a supply chain route. And I did many, many different roles. I, thankfully, I worked for a very dynamic, large company that gave me opportunities to do all kinds of things in the supply chain um, you know, scheme of things, lots of manufacturing um, uh, related uh, responsibilities. I was about to become the first female plant manager in the Band-Aid business, in the adhesive bandage. I was going to run the flagship facility for Johnson & Johnson. I had been It's a goal I had been working towards for many years. Uh, it was, uh, I was about two weeks away from the announcement being made. And suddenly there was a change in management a new team came in that was no longer going to happen. And um, as the new leader of the organization said to me, you know, I am loath to fire you because you appear to have some brains, but your replacement is already has already bought a house. So I have to find something else to do with you. And I have a proposition. And basically the proposition was that the head of procurement wanted to move into mergers and acquisitions. There was no one to succeed him. And if I was willing to go in and to start at the bottom, so to speak, in terms of just learning how to put a purchase order together and um, move forward, uh, I would have an opportunity to have that job. And so uh, he turned out to be the best mentor I ever had. I loved, I found that I loved procurement because procurement is perfect for the engineer's brain. If you're curious about how things are made, if you're curious about how it all comes together, right? What better place to be than procurement where you're getting an opportunity to speak to suppliers who are creating all kinds of goods and services. And I found that that way of thinking and that way of being able to lay things out helped me understand the issues that my suppliers had helped us come to resolutions and helped me to bring innovation forward. So it turned out to be a wonderful um, place uh, for me to learn. And I said, wow, I want to do this forever. And I don't want to move back into supply chain. And what I want to do instead is help businesses 
that have broken um, or no procurement organizations. And so I sort of divide my career into buckets. First part was supply chain. Second part was just going to businesses and helping to make better procurement organizations. Fantastic. That's a great story. And it sort of brings me on to my second question, actually, then, which is that the topic of your book, um, that's positive disruption. That can sound a little bit provocative, particularly if we think about procurement. Um, so I'd love to know, what are you referring to here? So what's the definition of positive disruption and any examples around that that you would give? Well, when we think of disruption, we think of bad stuff, right? And certainly, certainly here I was, I mean, the announcement was being written. I was that close to taking over for a plant manager who was retiring and suddenly it was gone. It was all just, my plans were all disrupted. And in fact, when I look back across my career, uh, 18 times there was some kind of significant disruption like that, where be it, uh, you know, a competitor, a merger, an acquisition, you know, a new management team, something came and disrupted what I thought I was going to be doing or um, how I thought I was going to be doing it. And, um, you know, you can, you can let it break you. You can keep your head down. In fact, I had a year where I kept my head down and uh, kind of did nothing because I there were rumors of a reorganization and I, I didn't want um, you know to be affected by that. And in fact, I realized that was not a way to live. And the better thing to do was to say, huh, there's going to be some negative disruption in my life. I have to learn how to deal with that. But one way to deal with that is going to be to be a positive disruptor. I will be a change maker. I am not going to keep my head down. I am not going to look the other way. I'm not going to hope that they don't see me and therefore I don't get affected when um, a reorganization takes place. Instead, I am going to stand up and I am going to make changes and I am going to do things for myself and for my team to help us get recognized as people who are agents of change, who are at the forefront, who understand the new techniques, who understand um, the things that are working and not working in industry and bringing it forward to our companies. And um, I think there are the, the two reasons to do that. Number one, when you're employed, right, I really believe that you still owe it to your employer to be doing your absolute best every day. Now, I know there's a lot that's written and a lot of thinking about employer loyalty and employee loyalty. But in fact, I believe that if you're getting a paycheck, you owe it to the people giving you that paycheck to be putting your best foot forward all the time. And then you also owe it to yourself, your family, the other members of your team to be distinguishing yourselves, to be uh, the ones who are different, the ones who stand out. Uh, it will help you when there is a reorganization and there is a change of somewhat because they'll say, oh, yeah, they just did this and this. Maybe they can do this. Maybe they can take on these new responsibilities in this new organization. And if it doesn't go your way, if your company gets acquired and is in, you're in a situation where uh, you don't make the cut, well, then you've got something unique and different that sets you apart from other people who are, um, you know, in the, uh, the job search process at the same time. So there's lots of good reasons to do it and to be a disruptor. 
And what I tried to do in the book was share my story and then um, give people ideas on how do you do it? You know, some of us work for companies that have deep pockets and there's ways you can see an idea, you uh, bring it forward and get all kinds of investment behind it. Other times, what you have to do is you have to look at things more modestly because you are working for a firm that doesn't have the money to make large investments. And so you have to get a little more creative. And what I try to do is lay out when I speak and in the book, lay out ideas and some directions that people could go. I'm very big. The engineer in me is very big on the how to uh, part of things. Absolutely. And you mentioned there in, in your answer, actually, um, some of the main disruptors, so mergers, acquisitions, general business churn. So these are all things that can distract both the individual and the business, in fact. What should procurement and supply chain professionals do to prepare for, and then to your point, actually capitalize on that turmoil? What, what's the advice you would give there? The, the, the three words, the most important thing, I believe, is to become digitally savvy. Now, I didn't come up with that term. Chris Sawchuk from the Hackett Group said it seven years ago, I think. But it remains very true today that there are process changes and improvements you can make that have a much lower price tag today than they did many years ago, where the only solution to automate was a big box solution, something that came in and did everything suit to knots and was one of those very big ERP systems. Now there are lots of ways to capitalize and to take advantage of, of you know, digital efforts out there and make improvements for your companies. The other thing, very interesting, is that I watched a uh, telecom, there was a telecom merger taking place and one very large company and one very small company. And I knew some of the folks, I had been in some panel discussions at a conference with a few of them. And I watched them do something very interesting. They, um, and these were folks in the smaller company, the one that was likely to be just kind of swallowed up by the big one. And they started uh, doing things like, posting little videos on LinkedIn and speaking at conferences and being on panels and writing short little posts about the things they were doing. They did a wonderful job of letting the world know the good things that they're doing. And I thought that was brilliant too, because it's one thing to be bringing value to your company. The other thing is that people have to realize the value that you're bringing. And they, um, they really did a great job. Now, I don't know how many of them got jobs in the new organization or got offered jobs in the new organization, but I do know that they all went on to get phenomenal new assignments, uh, some of them um, outside the company. And I thought that a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were very smart in terms of how they marketed themselves. I also think that there is all of this pressure on procurement to uh, and supply chain to reduce costs. Every year, bring the cost down, bring the cost down. And we tend to look at the supply chain as, you know, materials are coming to us and they're going then and they're, they're being changed or, or information services are being used in some way. And then we have some output 
that is going to a customer, whether it is another service or whether it is information or whether it is a tangible good that we're manufacturing. And um, I read an article about Gartner's supply chain awards. They, they give these awards every year and they gave an award to Microsoft for work that Microsoft had done mapping the process with eight of their suppliers. Now they use the blockchain uh, to do it and they uh, basically went back to their suppliers and in some cases their supplier suppliers and mapped every step of the process. Now that's something we don't do. We have sort of a artificial wall sometimes that, that looks at the area just under our direct control and not, and not back uh, further uh, in the process. And so Microsoft found many disconnected processes. They found savings and opportunity and the ability to streamline because they got rid of, um, uh, or they could see things that just made sense at one time, but weren't going anywhere anymore. And uh, yeah, that's another rich place where there is opportunity. And if you don't have the blockchain and you don't have the ability to do that, well, then you just sit with your, with your key suppliers, do mapping, use another process for doing the mapping and look for things that, that don't make sense anymore. So this next question may be related to the artificial wall that you just mentioned. Um, and a bit of a provocative statement from, from my side, which would be quite often you hear um, procurement doesn't really have the mandate to be uh, agents of, of change within an organisation. Firstly, do you think that's true and what could be done differently or better? I think that CFOs expect the same thing year on year. I don't believe that organizations expect procurement to be agents of change like that, to have a mandate to do things very differently. Now, you know, if you look at the last year, procurement had the mandate to go out and continues to have the mandate to go out and to uh, support their businesses with what with the PPE that they need, with the things they need for COVID. You know, I was in a call the other day, actually a series at a day where I seem to be having all of these calls with people around the globe and so many people focused on helping the India part of their companies and global companies helping the folks in India trying to find oxygen and basically running in, uh, dropping everything and just focus very tactically on trying to get this vote, uh, you know, done. And that is what that was needed. That has created great goodwill. Uh, that has given procurement an opportunity to know people in the organization that they just didn't know before, or to at least have people in the organization know who they are that, that didn't know before. But as life gets back to normal or when life gets back to normal, it will be easy to slip back into the same old ways. CFOs traditionally want cost savings. Procurement has traditionally delivered. And so there is no reason for CFOs to look for anything different, right? If you've always asked for it, if you've always put out what you believe are stretch goals, if procurement has always delivered, why should they ask for something different? So now you have 
kind of the, the, the perfect churn taking place. You've done things differently. You've done this tactical work. Maybe it's time for procurement to make its own mandate, right? If you aren't going to have someone say, oh, well, I've seen the good work you did here. Now go over there. Or, hey, we have this new business idea, but we don't know how to put it together. How could procurement help us do that? Procurement has an opportunity to seize it. Procurement has an opportunity to take the ideas and take the goodwill and the good relationships and the uh, things that they've done with their suppliers over the last year. And now ask those suppliers, what do you have? What are the R&D ideas? What are you working on? How are you helping your other clients with their sustainability goals? for example, right? That's the next thing bubbling up. So instead of waiting for the organization to create sustainability goals and trickle down to procurement, why not be proactive and good and go forward there? But um, so there's lots of ways where as you look at how business is moving now, just look at the posts that you're seeing on LinkedIn. You can see everything changing in terms of, you know, what's there now versus what was there a couple of years ago. Seize it for your company and bring it forward. I must say, I must add something else. Many times a CPO will say to me, well, you know, my company expects savings and I have this report and how would you calculate it? I wouldn't spend one minute worrying about how your business wants to have your savings calculated. It doesn't matter in the scheme of things. If they want to use a certain calculation, and you would feel more comfortable with something else, well, do it two ways. Do it, you know, show them this, is, you know, here's how it's done this way and here's how it's done this other way. I was in one organization where there was so much controversy around how to calculate savings. They could never come to an agreement. I used to publish a monthly report that had four different numbers on it and with an explanation of how I got to each one because it satisfied four different important stakeholders. The important thing is for procurement to be adding on to that. Here are the other ways I'm adding value. Here's how I helped the business go to market faster. Here's what I'm doing with suppliers coming in and bringing their new ideas to the marketing and sales organization so that we could be a customer of choice. We need to be proactive, right? Because if we're not, we're just going to be stuck in this roundabout where they ask for savings, we give them savings. They ask for savings, we give them savings. And you, there's so much more we can disrupt there. And you've spoken a lot there around people and relationships. And I wondered, what do you see as the role of technology in this, in terms of managing change or creating benefit? Do you think procurement needs to be more tech savvy as well? Well, yes, as I mentioned before, the comment from Chris Sawchuk, I truly believe that. I'll tell you why. I speak. Someone said to me recently that I'm a translator, that I, I and I have been spending a lot of time taking these digital concepts and speaking about them in a way that I try to get people who are uncomfortable comfortable. I try, and if I should use that as a tagline, make the uncomfortable comfortable. I have to figure that out. Um, but in that, when I speak on a digital topic, 
people, someone, 100% of the time, someone will come to me afterwards and say, either, thank you, I didn't understand that. And I feel like I'm the only one in the office who doesn't understand. And I didn't want to raise my hand and be singled out. And uh, by the way, by virtue of the fact that so many people have said that to me, I know there's a lot of people out there who didn't understand that. Um, And the second thing is they'll say, my boss doesn't get it. My boss doesn't want to have anything to do with that. How do I engage that person? How do I get he or she to understand the benefit that this can bring? And I think the world has changed. I mentioned the big box solutions before. And for the time, they were wonderful right? They, they automated, they helped make data more robust. They, uh, you know, did away with a lot of low value added tasks and things. Today, though, you've got this preponderance of these point solutions, these smaller solutions that can be used to go in and fix a particular problem or enhance a particular process. And so, People have to get there, and this a lot of this is management, have to step away from the idea that the only solution is one that's going to take three years and five million US dollars, what's that, 4.75 million pounds sterling uh, to, um, uh, to implement, and in fact, is something that can be done much faster, cheaper, and, and, and simpler. I know that the best digital solutions are throw it all away and just digitize everything. And again, in some companies that is doable. They have the vision, they have the bandwidth, they have the funds to be able to do that. Uh, and they and they have the, the, the staff who gets it and is willing to make that happen. For those companies though, who are not in that group, and I've worked for companies who are not in that group, um, you can still take advantage of technology to fix a problem or to make a, a process better, to make a process improvement. And another topic you mentioned in your book is the role of negotiation, which we are all aware, really important skill. But I was wondering, in the context of positive disruption, it becomes especially important. Why is it so important in the context of positive disruption? So we sell, we have to sell our ideas. There isn't a lot that we can do on our own in an organization. You know, we might be able to make some small process change in the area for which we have responsibility, but generally speaking, any kind of change needs buy-in from other people. And I'm a firm believer that that block of negotiating skills that you learn as you go to courses or read or get educated in the procurement process is exactly what you need as you sell. You don't need it just for buying. In reality, you need it for selling your ideas as well. So uh, ideas, the notion, for example, of preparing and and clearly stating your requirements, clearly stating the benefits, what you want to do, the change you want to make is an important thing when you're trying to sell your ideas within the company. The concept of mirroring, I think, is one that gets overlooked. That is an important negotiating skill. When you look at the stakeholder, you look at the person with whom you are negotiating 
And you do things like you mirror their style. You mirror the speed with which they speak. You do things not to be disingenuous. You're not mocking them, but you are trying to take a kind of a disruptor out of the, the process so you can get where you want to go. I'll give you an example of this. I was having a meeting in New York City with the COO of a large bank. And he had just moved to the city, was looking, we actually had offices across the street from each other, and he was looking for people nearby, and he found me on LinkedIn, and as he did, I, I'm sure, with others, and invited me for coffee just to kind of get to know each other and to sort of help him navigate living and working in New York City. It was a very different experience for him because he had come from, from um, you know, Southeast Asia. And as we spoke, I was, I thought I was like really being charming and I was telling my best stories and I was being great. And I could see that he was uncomfortable. And I realized that I needed to mirror him, that in fact, the speed with which I was speaking, the way I was moving my arms and, 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 uh, and my hands and, you know, being emphatic, uh, was not what he was doing. He was sitting quietly. His table was, his side of the table was very well organized. And I realized that my method was being a distraction. And in fact, I needed to mirror more and use fewer hand gestures and speak at a cadence that would make him more comfortable. Uh, probably he was getting used to, he, although he's bilingual, is probably getting used to the language and the idioms and things like that. So uh, that was a reminder to me to use that skill that I had learned back in negotiating class, that in fact, it was not applicable just to the people, just to the supplier side of the business, but in fact, was of value at when I'm actually trying to get someone to agree with me, to look at, to understand them a little bit better and to understand their styles. If you are working with someone who has a, a great penchant for numbers, well, you don't go in with an idea unless you vetted it a little bit and have some rough numbers to share, that kind of thing. Well, I think that's some really great advice there. Also, wonderful anecdote. Um, I was wondering, what do you see now as the future for procurement and supply chain? So there are some immediate challenges. It's had its time in the limelight with high profile events such as COVID-19, the Suez Canal crisis. So there's some immediate challenges. How will these be overcome? How do you see the future? What can we look forward to? Well, as I mentioned in one of the earlier questions, it's in the hands of procurement to make their own mandate. So you gave some good examples there of places where procurement came to the forefront and made things happen. I think procurement needs to look at other kinds of ways in which they can be um, you know, they can add great value to the process and, and to the end result for their companies. And um, not to forget to capitalize on that goodwill, that, that once people are back in the office, uh, to the extent that they go back to the office, once 
these crises are over or, you know, the, the chips shortage isn't there any longer and COVID has diminished and we're closer to global herd immunity. In fact, it will be too easy to forget about, um, about this. So using this goodwill that you and I have talked about as a springboard, procurement has the opportunity to dive into a whole lot of different directions. If you are a manufacturer, actually for all businesses, but particularly for those businesses that are manufacturing, there is an opportunity right now to really change the bar, really raise the bar from a sustainability standpoint. And that's one that procurement is uniquely situated to do because you can see where your company is. You can see, you know, what your company numbers are, what your company's goals are. And then you can turn around to the supplier community and basically be a bridge builder between the right suppliers and the right parts of your business to make that change happen. More so, I believe, than any other part of the organization, procurement can be out there seeking the innovation that is sitting at their suppliers. When I, I was a CPO for one company that made a consumer product, and, and it was innovation was the name of the game. It was absolutely critical to be the first in the market with something new. And um, uh I spent a third, one third of my time out at suppliers, seeing their facilities, meeting their management team, having them understand our business and putting them in touch with the leaders of other parts of our business, like R&D and like, and like marketing, so that they could understand where they were headed and start to put some of their R&D resources towards the things that would benefit our company. And what a, and we made some great things happen. Some unique packaging, in fact, that grew the, that grew the business for the supplier and for our company for many, many years. It was probably out there for, for close to 20 years. I mean, it was a great, a great accomplishment on, on uh, uh, the part of the supplier and our company and the, the realization that procurement didn't have to be a bottleneck, but and still be an enabler. You know, we like what we do. We like going to suppliers. We like seeing things. We like, we like the act of buying. And sometimes the right thing to do is to kind of be a matchmaker and step away. And that's a very different sort of thing. And we needed to roll up our sleeves and dive in over the last years. So when I look at the future, I say, okay. Now, let's get back to thinking about how we're going to leverage all of that brain power out there to help our businesses, because some of our businesses are doing really well, right? Some of them, you know, Clorox, you know, Lysol, the, the brands that, that people needed for cleaning and that sort of thing, they're going gangbusters food businesses, but a lot of other companies with luxury goods, with goods that weren't absolutely, you know, needed during the pandemic didn't do as well. And there's a different mandate now. And we shouldn't just assume 
that the company mandate that we had before the pandemic is the company mandate now. The company might not even realize that they have a different mandate, but but you know, with our heads in the ground trying to uh, help and trying to do what we had to do uh, in the COVID crisis, in fact, things in the world of change and demands of change, and we've got to be alert to that. So there's lots to lots to unpack there, Joanna, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will want to continue this discussion with you. So my final question is, what's next for you and what's the best way for people to follow you? So the best way for people to get me is to look for me on LinkedIn, uh, Joanna Martinez. And you might have to put Joanna Martinez procurement or Joanna Martinez um Uh, supply chain, because I'll tell you, there is a woman with a name very similar to mine who runs a yarn shop in the Midwest in the United States, who's great on social media. And sometimes when I look for myself, she pops up. So that's a whole nother discussion. I have a whole nother uh, talk on that. Uh, I just did a masterclass on blockchain that was a big success. And it reinforced that there is some education opportunity out there for the world uh, to get in terms of helping people in businesses sort of understand the power of some of the new digital technologies. So I'm actually starting to work on a masterclass on artificial intelligence, and I'm going to work my way through. I have a list of uh, digital enablers that I'm going to be uh, talking about. I also have a project this summer to do some coaching with some business owners. There's a program at a university in New York, and I'm going to be working with them uh, over the summer and um, helping uh, some of the business owners use those negotiating techniques to not just engage their enable their their suppliers but also engage their stakeholders so i'm gonna i'm gonna look at some some ways to to use those skills in several different ways and then i'm very interested in some of the newer concepts out there different ways to negotiate um different techniques and things like that so i'm going to be exploring that a bit so i um i have some speaking and some coaching uh, as i said planned and of course i'm always available if there's an interest somewhere so please contact me at linkedin so some inspirational points to end on there um thank you so much for joining us today it was an absolute pleasure to to speak to you thank you duncan If you enjoyed today's podcast, please don't forget to hit the like or subscribe button. Or for more information about us, visit our website, www.pix.com.